Welcome to episode 6 of No Coaster Needed. I'm Jacob McCourt. This show is about casual conversations between people of different ages, backgrounds, and from different walks of life. My hope is that the show feels like two friends catching up at a pub with a drink. It's a pub so you don't need a coaster, get it? The entirety of the first season of the show is about people with ties to the Rose City, people with ties to Windsor, Ontario. On today's show, I sat down with Maureen Lucas. She is both the past president and CEO of LucasWorks and an entrepreneur in residence with the University of Windsor's epicenter. Maureen has been recognized for many years on the Profit W100 list for Canada's top female entrepreneurs, and the company she founded, LucasWorks, has been on the Profit 500 list for the last seven years consecutively. Maureen is also a proud Rotarian and a founder of 100 Women Who Care Windsor-Essex, a group dedicated to giving large contributions to local community causes. We recorded this episode at the LucasWorks offices in Windsor. On the show, we talked about Maureen's start in the hospitality industry, founding, growing, and selling a business, adjusting to changes in the market and her own company, her work outside of work, and all of the anecdotes in between. This is No Coaster Needed, intimate conversations with incredible people. So you grew up in Windsor, correct? Yes, I did. I grew up actually central Windsor area, just off of Erie Street, a very wonderful multicultural neighborhood. And um, later we moved out to the east side of Windsor. So I uh, grew up, lived here. I went to high school, Brennan High School, spent my last year at Riverside High School. So yeah, I had a wonderful Windsor experience. Uh, when you were done high school, uh, what did you think you wanted to be? It's interesting, right? Because I think less planning in those days. I'm not sure if that's it, but I, I mean, I just knew I wanted to be done school. So I liked hospitality industry. And uh, from the time I was 18, I did work. I waitressed when I was younger. I became a restaurant manager at 20 years of age. So I loved the business because it was fast paced, fast moving, a lot of different things going on, crazy hours. And uh, those are all things that I really enjoyed. So how did you end up going from hospitality to your first job working in uh, in a recruitment company, in your first recruitment company? So uh, it was interesting as you know, as you go through life and I had a, uh, my son and the hospitality industry is pretty um, grueling. You work nights, you work weekends, you work holidays. And although I was getting nice opportunities, I worked for a large hotel chain, Hilton Hotels, and uh, I was getting the opportunity for promotions, but every promotion meant I had to work more hours. So I remember thinking at one point, I think my son was two years old, I thought, you know, I want a job where a promotion doesn't mean working more hours in the week, um, but having more responsibilities. So I started looking around at what else I could do. And strangely enough, I ended up working in legal, the legal profession. I was a law uh, secretary. And I liked it because it was regular hours. You know, I needed to work 830 to 5 to be home with my son and kind of focus on him for those few years. And although it was an amazing experience, for me, it was incredibly boring. Like working regular hours, um, not having a variety of tasks. So after a couple of years, I thought, okay, this isn't going to work. And I end up going to the hotel and working there for a few years, more in administration. And um, 
I started looking around at what else I could do, and I went to an employment firm, an employment agency, to apply for work. And uh, they placed me in a couple of really interesting jobs. And uh, on the third job, uh, when they called me to offer me a, a position, it was with their company, with their staffing company. So I'd never really thought about doing that. And I thought, okay, why not? I'm doing administration type work. And it was honestly the best decision of my life because I started at the very bottom level and worked my way through the variety of positions into a branch manager role. Now, for uh, someone listening who may not necessarily know what a recruitment agency does, mm -hmm. can you just kind of give us a, a broad definition of, of what the day-to-day -day looks like for someone in a recruitment agency? Sure. So what a recruitment firm does is they help companies to hire the employees that they need to run their business. So many companies, even large companies, they don't have a full recruitment center or they don't have recruitment expertise or what they find they're recruiting twice a year. And so they only get access to candidates that are available in those short pockets of time. So a lot of companies work with recruitment firms to access the best talent. So that's really what the role is of a recruitment firm with a company. As far as the job itself, so exciting because you work, instead of working for a company, you work for 30 companies and you have to get to know their internal structure and their management structure and their uh, culture because making a good placement means you understand those things. So we tour facilities, we meet management teams. So it's really everyday changing. And we have so many different customers that we have a lot of different jobs within our job. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. The first agency that you worked for, mm -hmm. uh, how did you start? You said you started at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you obviously took on uh, roles with more responsibility. Um, where did you start in that first uh, recruitment company? So I was hired to be a receptionist and it was a small firm, probably I think eight people worked there. And uh, in any small firm, what you find, including uh, my own, that although you have a specific title or role, you do a little bit of everything. And so I find myself often wanting to take control. It's a very entrepreneurial thing. And so even though I was receptionist, as people were going to place people in jobs, I'd say, I don't think they're going to be really good at that. And so you start to influence the recruiters and then ultimately spending half of your time doing the recruiting. And then as a recruiter, they want you to go, they wanted me to go out and meet with customers and have lunch with them. And so slowly you're transitioning from recruiter to customer service and a little bit of sales. And so that's really kind of the path you take. You do a little bit of everything until you find your niche. And in many companies, it's either operations or sales. But in staffing firms, it's really, really important that you have a little bit of both of those pieces. So that's where it was really fun because I'm an operations person who likes customer service and maybe a little bit of sales. Okay. When you were at the first job, uh, at your first recruitment job before you started LucasWorks, mm -hmm. um, was there a unique client or uh, a type of client in a specific industry that you never thought that you'd have the opportunity to work for at that, or that you were surprised that you ended up working for? Uh, working with, like you mean a customer that we had? Exactly, yeah. So when we when I first worked, it was a small firm. And then I went through the process of, a, they uh, were acquired by another company. So we went through that whole merger and acquisition to a, a bigger company. And then we did it again. So through that process, what was interesting is we had a lot of small pockets of clients. I'll say, you know, a lot of clients that needed 10 employees or 15 employees. And so I was working with a client that 
uh, I knew that they utilized a large volume of temporary employees. And it was kind of my goal if that if I could work with one company like that, just one, it would double our business or our revenue. So that happened um, probably in my first year kind of managing the branch. We got that one big customer. And then once you get one large customer, you're able to go out and talk to others and get that second and third. And so I think that almost every company I wanted to work with in this community, I've had an opportunity to work with. I've been very lucky and blessed to have good customer relationships. And so, yeah, it's been, it was an exciting uh, journey though, trying to win those contacts in that business. So as you're winning those contacts uh, in 2004, I believe, uh, that's the year that you started LucasWorks. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what the process was like for you to decide, I want to not be an employee. I want to kind of own my own shop. So that's an interesting thing I talk about a lot um, when I'm meeting people is because I was not a natural entrepreneur. It's not like it was ever in my head someday I would like to own or run a business. And even when I was working in the industry, it was never really a thought that I, I had. I was very happy working for the company that I worked for. They are a large multinational company. They treated me very well. They gave me a lot of opportunities. And so I didn't really see myself ever leaving that. But what happens is I think fate sometimes steps in and you have to pay attention to things that are happening. So I had this one boss, the regional manager that I just didn't see eye to eye with. And I kept thinking, you know, I, we're doing really well. We have a really good system. I don't really want to be micromanaged. And so that's what I think often what will launch somebody into thinking about starting their own business is the feeling that they don't want to be managed by somebody else. So still, it was just a little niggle in my brain. It was still not something that uh, I was fully on board with because it, it, I didn't know, really know how to go about it. I had no background in it. Um, so as things kept progressing, the company got bigger, their solutions were so big. It took a lot of red tape to get anything done. And so I started thinking, wow, if I ever had a company, I would make this process so much easier, or I would ensure that we're doing this on a much quicker basis. And so when you start thinking though that way, that I would do it differently. And I, so I had a, an old boss that said to me, you have to stop talking about what you would do differently because this is the company you work for and how they do things. If you feel that strongly about it, you need to think about uh, going out and starting a business yourself. So, and the kind of the last piece, somebody else in the industry, which is very unusual, we're a very competitive industry. We don't share information a lot, but one of my competitors said, you'd be wonderful owning your own business. You should really think about going out in your own. So that kind of started it all going. And I started with, I tell this to a lot of the people I mentor, I started with a logo, you know, you're doodling and you think, what would I call my company? And what would that look like? And as you're drawing the picture, you're starting to build the dream, right? And that's what it's all about is putting your whole dream together. So by the time I had a logo and a thought about how I would do things, I started to explore the other side of it, the financial, the real side of it, right? All the things to make it happen. And I ran into a lot of roadblocks. So who's the first person when you decided, when you had the logo, when you had the name, who's the first person you went to and said, 
is this a good idea for me to start my own business? Mm-hmm. So I have, um, I, I mean, I know I have a lot of mentors, people that I knew in the community that I really respected. But in particular, this one person, she's an accountant. She was a partner in the accounting firm. Um, I'd run into her in various uh, social settings um, through Rotary and other things. And so that was the person I went to. And I don't know how much she mentioned names in the show, but I will say Denise Harastovic. She's very well known. She's an amazing person. And she was like my sounding board to say, is this a good idea? And she said, absolutely. Get your ducks in a row. Do the things you need to do. But you will be successful. So, uh, you know, that starts to build your confidence a little bit. She um, introduced me to people within banking to help me get things set up that I need to get set up. And it was very hard in banking because I didn't have money. You don't have money. It's really hard to start a business. So um, she, you know, worked through that with me and my bank. RBC has been incredibly amazing to me for helping me get started and helping me through a lot of hurdles that I encountered in the first few years in business. So I think it's all about Uh, having mentors, having people that you can count on that give you good advice and don't just pat you on the back and say you can do well. So that's how I got started. So you started the the company uh, in Windsor to start. Mm -hmm. You had one office here. What was the biggest hurdle for you once you got the funding, uh, you had good mentors? What was the biggest hurdle for you once you actually opened your business? So I, you know, and only to backtrack a little bit. So when I decided, made the decision that I was going to go out into business, I went to my current employer. I had no non-competition signed with them. And I said, I'll sign one right now with you today as I'm giving my notice, because it's not my intention to take your business. I think that it's really important that when we decide that we're going to go into a competitive business to the one we're working in, that we do it on our own steam. And so I said to them, I will not touch your customers or your employees. I'm going to do this on my own. I wanted them to know that. So that's what I did. I went off in business knowing that I had no business I was bringing over that I was aware of. And the first year, I mean, the first day was super exciting. I mean, you open your doors and you have the furniture in place. And I had one employee and we sat there and I don't know what we thought would happen, but we were waiting for the phone to ring on the first day. And of course it didn't ring. So um, I realized that a big part of what I was going to need to do in that first year was sales. The very thing that I like least, I'm not a salesperson, but I mean, to be successful in business, you need to be the everything when you're starting up. And so I went out, knocked on doors, continued to build relationships. I had many people come to me that I had done business with, and I clearly explained to them that I had a one-year non-compete and that I was going to honor that. Those customers referred me to other customers that were able to help me kind of get my business started. And so I have the check from my very first customer. And uh, when I cashed it, I kept the check and I kind of framed it at first. So all those milestones are really important in your first year. Within six months, we had almost too much business. And I was um, given the opportunity to understand all the different components of the business and who was going to handle them. And again, when I mentor, it's the hard thing. How can you be marketing and sales and recruiter and finance and HR? It's very hard to wear all the hats. And so getting that all sorted out so that our customers could have a seamless experience with our company. But in the first year, we turned profit, which is very unusual in business. Um, The next couple of years, we grew 
so much so. And so that's 2004, straight through to 2008. The recession, right? When the world went crazy. And so I'm an optimist. And so sometimes that gets you in trouble. But I thought, well, while things are slow, we still had a good base of business. We did not uh, by any means have difficulty here in Windsor, but we flatlined. And so while that was happening, I was thinking it's a great time to look at rebranding, fresher branding, and maybe to look at opening another office because all the work it takes to open an office, I wasn't needed as much in Windsor because we were kind of flat. And so I thought I'm going to take this opportunity to test another market. So we did. We went to London. We decided we we're going to open an office there. Um, uh, one of my best and biggest mistakes was opening in London when I did without doing due diligence. I really didn't do the research I needed to do to understand the market and the differences. I just thought it was close enough to Windsor that we had customers that, you know, were here in Windsor and in London. And so that would transition. But it was tough. What's the biggest difference between Windsor and London, if you had to kind of sum them up? Well, totally different market, but the biggest difference was me in that market. I didn't know anybody in London. I had no contacts. I had um, no history. I didn't grow up there. So I, had, I didn't have the things it takes to, I think, maybe build the foundation easier. And so it was uh, two years of really struggling there. But being the optimist I was, Windsor was starting to recover from the recession and doing very well. So it allowed me to have the financial support to keep London going because I was determined that if I'm going to be in that market, we're going to be successful. And so truly, it probably took four or five years to see um, even the success we had in the first year here in Windsor. And again, because I didn't have the portfolio or the, the contact list there. What I did do smart in the third year is I hired a local person in London to manage the facility who did have the contacts and um, did have the history and grew up there. And that was a really big changing point for growing the business there. Uh, as an entrepreneur starting a business, uh, you mentioned earlier that you took on all the roles, sales, marketing, finance. Did that take a toll on you personally? Well, I, you know, I was really blessed because the time in life, a lot of people start business at different times in their life. And a lot of entrepreneurs are young. And so you have the multiple challenges of, you know, school debt and young families and all those things. And I didn't have those things. And so my son, when I started the business, was, uh, I think, 16. And so he was more independent. I didn't have that stress. And I had the most amazing husband. So I didn't have that stress. He just, you know, kind of made everything easy for me at home. I did work 12 or 14 hours a day. It's what you had to do in some days even longer, but it was all yours. And, and the ability to win or be successful was based on my ability to do that. And so it just had to happen and I wanted it to happen. And so, yeah, the hard work does definitely pay off. What's the one thing that you've learned from that experience that you carry into your work now? Is there a, something that you do every day or is there um, something that you do to relax that you kind of stick to? Mm -hmm. Well, I loved working. So when I used to work the long days, when other people would go home or on the weekend, I would come in in my jeans or, you know, my flip flops and sit here and it's have my coffee. And it was to me, that was not stressful. I, I didn't find working 12 and 14 hours a day stressful. I think it's stressful when other things in your life are difficult or if business isn't going well. But my biggest problem was that things kept growing and kept getting bigger and bigger and how to add more staff and then run out of space and add more. I, I rented a, a, 
facility originally, and I kept having to add. Twice I had to add space until we finally moved here. Um, it, my problems were more about growth than about stress or about work-life balance. I loved my work. Uh, good problems to have, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're listening to No Coaster Needed. This is a conversation with Maureen Lucas. She is both the past president and CEO of LucasWorks and an entrepreneur in residence with the University of Windsor's Epicenter. If you like what you've heard so far, consider posting your favorite episode on social media. It helps a lot. Now let's jump right back in with one of the biggest challenges that an entrepreneur faces when the business starts to boom. Okay, so for uh, entrepreneurs, the biggest challenge for especially small business entrepreneurs is doing it all yourself and then when to let go of things and how that feels to let go. But I really did understand that for us to continue to grow, I had to continue to release pieces of it. So, I mean, very early days, the first thing I released was accounting and finance. I hired a bookkeeper and then I hired a payroll person. Um, I hired uh, somebody that was uh, working side by side with me operationally that became our operations manager. We hired an, so yes, we, we didn't, we needed to continue to grow the structure and alleviate day-to-day responsibilities. So I was able to be more strategic about the growth of the company. And so we added our professional services division, um, six years ago and, um, second year in the person that was working in that division started to manage that group. And then she ultimately became Jennifer Sharon became the person that grew the professional search division for us in London and Kitchener. So yeah, it's been about growth, the company and growth within our team and our structure. Ultimately, I knew that if I was going to ever look at a, a, a situation where I would sell the business, that it was going to be important, that it wasn't reliant on my day to day activity. So in addition to, you you alluded to your professional search group, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to LucasWorks, the recruitment agency, you also have a professional search arm of the business as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what, what that side of the business uh, takes care of and what the difference is between um, maybe the targets that you'd go after for, for both mm-hmm. businesses? So we had, um, we had what we call, uh, it's all in one business. We serviced professional staffing and temporary staffing contract labor. But along the way, what we started to understand about our customers that to be really seen as a player in the professional staffing world, you couldn't really be associated with temporary staffing. It's a different world. It's manager, it's CEOs, it's high level positions, and they just uh, businesses don't equate that with temporary staffing companies. So that was why we made the decision let's uh, separate that division, let's rebrand it, and let's start uh, attracting the right kind of businesses that hire that talent. They're often similar companies that hire our temporary or contract staffing, but in many cases, they're different companies altogether that don't use temporary staffing at all. They just need to hire a CEO or they need to hire a, a human resource director or they need to hire an accountant. So they need to hire somebody at a higher level only. And so those are the companies that were not finding us when they were searching because we were considered temporary staffing. So our rebranding took about two years to really take hold. And in that time, that division has quadrupled in volumes. So we're really being seen now as a a company that focuses on professional staffing as well. And uh, a focus in Toronto too, right? So there's an office in Toronto there as well. So we have our satellite. And so what we 
what we understood too to be seen by, we wanted to start looking at Ontario and Canada as being our market. And to do that, you need to have a presence in a, in a bigger community. So we set up a head office satellite in uh, Toronto and we use that for interviewing candidates for meeting with customers in the Toronto region. So it's more of a, our profile as opposed to an active office. Kitchener was a much more active office for us in professional staffing. And London, actually, I would say the success that we found with them was more when we entered the professional staffing uh, uh, side of the business. Okay, so the business is growing. Uh, you have the professional services side or the professional search side, rather. And then in 2017, uh, something with the business changed. Mm -hmm. What changed with the business in 2017? Well, I mean, I started to look at um, options. What did I see happening in the next five to 10 years? What's my succession plan? And I think that every good entrepreneur, while you hate to the idea that you're not going to be involved in it, realistically, I didn't really want to work forever. And so uh, I started thinking about the opportunities. So one of them, of course, is to continue to operate a business and have a management structure and a board and not actively work in the business. And a lot of companies, actually the company that purchased my company is has that type of uh, environment where they have a board owned by, and a company owned by an individual, but it's operated by a board. And the other alternative was to look at uh, the buyer's market to see if there was, in fact, a market for uh, uh, the business that I had. And so we tested it in Toronto. I had a company out of Toronto uh, test the market for us to see if there were, in fact, people that might be interested in buying the business. And it set us down this path to looking at that as a real option. Is it hard um, to separate yourself from the business, especially when your name is on the front door? Um, it is, but I'm a, I'm a glass half full person. Every decision that you make in your life to open the business and be fully accountable for its success or failure, to open other offices and be accountable for its success or failure. What my plan is now, I've sold the business. I've sold it to a really great company that have really good values and ethics, the things that I think are important. And I'm going to go on and really enjoy whatever this next thing is and put equal effort into it as I did into this business. Yes, my name's on the door and all of that has been amazing. But to me, it's about part of my amazing life. It's just that piece of it. And if they keep the name or if they don't, I think it'll have been part of this 15 years of my life, being able to have my name on the door and run this wonderful business. Uh, so you're purchased by Design Group Staffing in yes. September of 2017. Yes. Uh, were a lot of people surprised uh, that you sold the business uh, in the in the Windsor community? I think so. I think because people know I like working and people know I like business and being involved in business. So I think people were surprised. But I think, you know, you have to, if you're not out there understanding that that's something that you're going to do at some point, you might miss the opportunity. And truly... What I looked at is our trending. We had nine years of growth. And at some point, that was going to plateau. Whenever you are number one, there's always people looking to take your place. And so the idea about selling a business is selling it when you're at your peak. And lucky for me that it all seemed to come together at that exact right time. So they're based in Edmonton, I believe, right? Head office Edmonton and Toronto as well. So uh, has it been interesting to kind of interact with the different offices around the country as you kind of get integrated within their business? So less me and more my team. So that was a big part, you know, again, when I went to sell the business is that ensuring that I wasn't 
uh, a required part of the day-to-day. And so the team that we had here locally has been in charge of working through the transition, obviously with me. So I'm not interacting as much with the all the different branches. My team here is. But it's been wonderful because I worked for a large company that had branches and had similar policies and practices. And so I'm really able to coach them through what is a big change because a privately owned company and a large company structure is very different. And so really helping everybody here understand how great this is, what's happening, the wonderful security, the wonderful opportunity with this new company, and the differences between how they do things and maybe how I did things, that it's not wrong, better, worse, it's just different. So I think it's been helpful to have me as part of the transition, but that the team here is really leading that. You've truly come full circle mm-hmm. throughout. Yeah. Uh, if you could go back and tell yourself or or give yourself one piece of advice when you were starting LucasWorks from what you know now, mm-hmm. what would that be? I think just celebrate the moments and and it's funny because I'm able to, I'm working as a mentor. So I am giving this real advice to people every day. Celebrate every single little success and moment because that is the joy in business. And you have to set goals because without the goal, you don't know that you've had the success. I was just recently working with a business that just had a huge boost in sales, but they had no plan for their sales. So they didn't even really celebrate this huge boost properly. So I think recognizing and celebrating the moments, recognizing and celebrating the people that make you successful, because uh, sometimes entrepreneurs have egos and you forget that it's not by your work alone, but by the team you build and the work that they do, that you're successful. So celebrate your people, celebrate your successes. If at any point you go down or go out of business, you'll never regret the fun that you had celebrating the successes. So now that you are a past president, now that you've sold the business, you likely have a lot more time for uh, other ventures. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you've started to do, and uh, I'll ask you exactly when and how that came about, but is working with the Epicenter at the University of Windsor. Mm -hmm. So... What is the Epicenter and and how did you get involved uh, with that organization within the university? Uh, The Epicenter, it's outstanding. This is an opportunity for every student to learn and understand what it would take to start their own business and to have real-time mentors and people in the community helping walk them through the steps to make them successful. They've done such a great job of creating this really cool environment that makes people want to come there and learn about uh, how to start a business. So uh, Francine Schlosser is uh, oversees the whole uh, center. And probably I'll say six or seven years ago, maybe even more than that, she asked me if I would go to dinner with a bunch of the students from the epicenter and, and talk to them, let them ask me questions and talk to them about business. And so that was my first interaction with the epicenter. And then through the years, you know, I've spoken to some of the uh, groups or classes. I've had like a variety of different interactions with them and I love it. So when I started to think about what does leaving this business mean? Um, I didn't want, I don't want another job, but I certainly am used to filling 50 hours a week. And that was way too many to relax. And so um, I was trying to think about what am I going to do to fill that time? And I didn't want to over plan, but I saw a posting 
from the epicenter for an entrepreneur in residence. And I thought, well, that would be fun. And uh, I reached out to Nicole uh, at the epicenter and uh, said, is this something that I might be helpful with? And so that's kind of how it all came together, timing. I feel like sometimes in life, it's all about timing and a little bit of luck and things coming together. So they had this opening and I've been able to transition my time from five days a week to four days a week to three, two, I'm now down to two, to two days at the university, working with the students who have business ideas, amazing business ideas, and helping them work through how to really get that into a business. Do you see a lot of parallels between yourself as a young entrepreneur and some of the entrepreneurs that you uh, interact with at the university? Well, the biggest difference I'll say is that the uh, students at the university are coming mostly out of school as opposed to out of life experiences and moving into a job. So I was working in the field and I opened a business in the field. So I had a huge head start, right? A huge leap ahead from what they will have because they won't have that practical work experience to draw on or the contact list to draw on. So they're starting from a much more organic place. Like it's um, much more challenging for them uh, than it maybe was for me. I was mature and I had all these other things. I had the business experience and I had the contact list. But having said that, the enthusiasm, the drive, the um, the surety that their idea is a good one that they can make work, all of those things I can empathize with. And in addition to that, uh, I believe you also offer scholarship for students at the university, right? Yes. Well, through LucasWorks, we, when we had our 10th anniversary, we offered a annual scholarship to anybody in an entrepreneurial or business program that was going to start a business. And, and that's been, um, I think, really well received and something I felt would be helpful because I think a lot of students um, would want to do this, would want to try to start a business, but again, financially, can they do it? And so to be able to support that, the thing that I was most challenged with starting a business, finding financial support, I think is, it is a wonderful full circle. Uh, in addition to that, you also work with the Rotary, correct? So yes, I'm a Rotarian for uh, 18 years and we're sub- celebrating our centennial. I'm a past president of our club and we do amazing things in the community. So we in this community and all over the world. So I'm blessed to be a part of it. I actually often attribute a lot of my success to the wonderful people I've met through Rotary. I mean, call it a contact list or call it a friends that you make. Uh, I think because of them, I think because they pushed me to be president and have to go to a podium and speak every week that I got more comfortable with those things. I think Rotary's really helped shape and change my life. So I feel very lucky. For anyone that's listening and may not necessarily know what the Rotary Club is, Mm -hmm. can you just give us a a quick summary Mm -hmm. of, of the work that they do? Sure. The Rotary Club's a service organization. It's got members all over the world, clubs all over the world, was started um, by uh, Paul Harris in Chicago with four men getting together, wanting to do good in their community. And it's grown to uh, 100,000 clubs worldwide. And those clubs, what you do is projects. You help the community. You give, you raise money and give it to worthy causes. You build water wells in countries that have no safe water. You, We are the leading uh, partner that's eliminated polio in the world. So we do amazing things and it starts by being in your local Rotary Club. Uh, a few more questions for you and then that's pretty much it. Sure. So you've talked in, in other forums, I believe, about the importance of having a mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us what 
what you would look for or what the most important thing is uh, when you're seeking a mentor as a young entrepreneur, a young person, or someone that just needs a little bit of help in their life? So it's really important that I think sometimes with a mentor is somebody that's going to tell you the truth. Um, a lot of people that want to do things, they, you know, they have their families or their friends and everybody says, oh no, it's great. It's wonderful. You need somebody who's going to be truthful with you and that has an area of expertise that you don't have. And so really my first mentor, Denise, was like somebody that had, first of all, an amazing uh, community minded spirit, but she had a all that accounting and financial knowledge and she had all that starting up a business knowledge and so finding somebody that really can help you develop in the areas that you need assistance in but more importantly than that somebody that's going to tell you the truth and give you good feedback not always positive feedback but give you good feedback that will help you to you know go in the direction that you need to go uh you're a mentor to a few people you mentioned it Mm -hmm. earlier um is it hard for you sometimes to deliver that that hard truth? I don't think so because one of the things that I really pride myself on and not a lot of the things I pat myself on the back for, but one of the things that I can do is deliver a, a difficult message in a positive way. And so I think that it's so important that they're getting that, that, you know, you need to look at what you're doing. It may not be the right decision. I don't want you to change. I want you to think about it. And so people that are willing to, you know, uh, challenge them. So I like doing that because I think it will make people better. And I think that's what it's all about being a mentor or, you know, having a mentor. It's about, uh, uh, getting better at something, right? So I, I think giving them the hard message sometimes, but along with the hard message that you're the number one support system and that you always remind them of all the things they're doing well. Uh, you've been on the W100 Canada's top female entrepreneurs list for a few years, for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. So for any entrepreneurs that are listening, uh, especially female entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, what's your biggest piece of advice for them? So W100 is the women's uh, um, business owners. And then there's Profit 500, which is men and women. But one of the things, and I think that people think that awards and recognitions, that to go out there and apply for them is somehow egotistical. And uh, it's and I, I felt that way too. Oh, I'm not going to pat myself on the back and say all the good things I do and send in my nomination to this organization. And then I realized how short-sighted I was being because the opportunity to talk about what you're doing and what you're doing well, to get recognized by these organizations and what it does for your business, it's not um, egotistical. It's irresponsible not to do it. And so I tell people in business that if you have a business that fits uh, a model for getting recognition, that you have to go out and seek that, that you need to get good press so that your business can grow and that people know who you are and become aware of your brand. And so I think when you're starting a business, you need to look for those opportunities to be recognized and to be recognized by um, reputable organizations like Profit Magazines and the Canadian Business Magazine. And and you're speaking not only for individuals, but you're also speaking for companies to go after those top 100 companies list, et cetera, right? Absolutely. And even Business Excellence Awards. Every year I nominate here locally at least five businesses or more. I try to do new businesses. One of my uh, businesses I mentored um, quite a while ago, uh, Sweetheart Diapers, was uh, recognized as the startup business of the year. I think it's important that we 
nominate ourselves for these kind of awards to be recognized because you share your stories with the community. People get a chance to get to know you. It's a wonderful thing. And it's not about ego. It's about branding and awareness and all positive things. So I think people need to nominate businesses, but businesses also need to look at ways to get their companies out there under these umbrellas of business excellence awards or business magazine awards, those kind of things. It's really important. Do you think that employee recognition is also very important? Incredibly so. And, you know, there's so many things that people do under employee recognition. And and I think it's it's great to give little uh, gifts or whatever under employee recognition. I think more importantly is um, understanding what your employees' goals are and then allowing them to be recognized in that way. So for us, I hire people that want to do good in the community and we allow them that time to go out in the community on work time to sit on boards or participate in events because it's important to them as people. It's great for the business and it's great to build their contact list as well. So I think that they go out and they get recognized for doing good with a committee or a board and it works for everybody. It works for them. It works for the committee or board. It works for the business. Um, Final question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's next? Well, I got a lot of wonderful next things. So I'm uh, involved with, I run partner with a partner, 100 Women Who Care. It's an organization here locally, 150 women are involved. We meet once every three months and hear about local charities that need our help. We write a check in one hour, one hour every three months, we give a charity ten to $15,000. And so that's a wonderful thing I'm involved in that I'm going to continue to be involved in. Um, Rotary is a wonderful part of my life. And I am now going to focus on the thing I never did all those years is I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to swim. I'm going to do all those wonderful relaxing things as part of my wonderful days. Plus, you also just came back from a, a trip yourself, correct? Yeah, I just went to uh, to California to see my aunt, and it was a wonderful. I mean, we're going to travel a lot more, that's for sure. And of course, I'm going to continue to be working as entrepreneur in residence, and hopefully, seeing the next generation of entrepreneurs entrepreneurs start their business. Uh, Maureen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Jacob. And that's our show. A big thank you to Maureen Lucas. She is both the past president and CEO of LucasWorks and an entrepreneur in residence with the University of Windsor's Epicenter. If you want to follow the work that Maureen does, you can first check out the University of Windsor Epicenter at epicenterewindsor.ca. Next, to find out more information about the Windsor Rotary Club, you can go to rotary1918.com. To see all the work being done by 100 women who care Windsor Essex, you can go to 100womenwindsor.com. That's 100womenwindsor.com. And finally, if you wanted more information about the company that she founded, LucasWorks, you can check that out at lucasworks.ca. The two tracks that you heard in the episode today are Highway 26 by Foxheart Fishman and How Deep Is Down by Baby God. If you want to follow me on social media, you can do so at Jacob McCourt. And to find all of the episodes of No Coaster Needed, you can go to nocoasternedid.com or your favorite podcasting service. Thanks for listening.